0: Welcome back, everyone. This is the ChangeLog, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 130. Jared and I taught you, Mike Parham. He's back again. Just like Sidekick, he's got Inspector now, another open source slash pro version of software out there for you to use. This one is Application Infrastructure Monitoring Reimagined. It's called Inspector. Now let me talk about that, we also talked about other fun ways he's making money as an open source developer, so great conversation there. We've got some awesome sponsors for this show, Codeship, Hired.com, and DigitalOcean. We'll tell you a bit more about Hired.com and DigitalOcean later in the show, but our friends at Codeship is a hosted continuous deployment service that just works. You can easily set up continuous integration for your application in just a few steps and automatically deploy all your code when your tests pass. Codeship has great support for lots of languages languages. Test frameworks as well as notification services. They integrate with GitHub and Bitbucket, and can deploy your code to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, or even your own servers. This setup takes just three minutes. Get started today with their free plan and make sure you use our code, the Changelog Podcast. Again, that code is the Changelog Podcast, and you will get a twenty percent discount for three months on any plan you choose. Head to CodeShip.io. And now, on to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're uh, we're joined here with a, a guest that's no uh, stranger to the show, Mike Parham. And Mike, you're also not a stranger to the Change Law. We've covered all sorts of stuff that you've done over the years everything from Dolly to Sidekick to Launchy, um, Launchy, Lunchy. I'm not sure if I, which. It's Launchy. Launchy. I think we pronounce it's spelled lunchy though, right?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah. So. There's already a gym called Launchy, so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't squat on that name. <laughs> right.
0: So I, I'm here, Mike's here, Jared's here, Jared, say hello. Hey. We, uh, we've uh we been waiting to, I think maybe about a month or two to, to have this conversation. You've been working on something brand new. So maybe the best way to start would be to just, you know, get, you know, tell us what's going on. What'd you do brand new?
1: Sure. Um, for the last four months, I've been working on a top-secret project, uh, which I just announced yesterday, and it's called Inspector. Um, it's my fresh take on application infrastructure monitoring. Uh, that is to say, all the moving parts of, of a server-side application, um, a, a little tool which allows you to monitor all those, those moving parts to make sure everything is healthy, and if anything looks out of the ordinary... Inspector will immediately send out alerts to uh, to where you wherever you have configured to say, "Hey, this doesn't look right." Uh, so it's really helpful in terms of uh, just you don't have to watch a dashboard all day or something like that. You just you know watch your inbox and and uh, if something shows up, then you know to investigate. Mm-hmm.
2: So Inspector comes into a space that's you know has uh, some offerings. I think you're no stranger to that as sidekick, of course, famously um was you know rescue um you know done right or done better. Mm-hmm. Um Inspector has competition with Monit, with God, with uh what's the Python one? Um, uh, Supervisor now. D? Yeah. So there's or a few other Blue Pill was the one I was thinking of. So there's there's other players in this space what's inspector's unique take and, and what what's the value add there
1: right so you know if you if you know anything about Monet uh it's it's pretty obvious that that Monet is the main yeah um, the main influence in the way inspector works. Uh, I've used Monet for the last five years and I've just always been frustrated with some of its quirks and so i I really wanted to build <clears throat> for the last few years I've really wanted to build. Something that was like sort of a, a Monet plus plus or or my take on Monet, and so as I as I really got serious about doing this a few months ago, I, I really started looking at the Monet feature set and and just sort of what did I want uh, in terms of um, you know my previous job was director of infrastructure or director director of technical operations, whatever you want to call it, but basically if the site had problems, I, I was the guy who had to whose head was on the line. Um, so this kind of tool uh, was critical for for my job. I had to know when something was was acting up. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I went through uh, Monit's, Monit's feature set and pared down all the different features that uh, I thought were not useful uh, from an application monitoring point of view and, add, and added new features that uh, I thought were critical that Monit didn't have. And, uh, and so that's, that's what became Inspector. Um, Inspector has makes some interesting choices uh, in terms of its design that uh, some people aren't going to necessarily like. For uh, but, instance? Well, it doesn't monitor init D, legacy initd services. Um, really? and, and that's by choice. Um, I, part of application monitoring is I'm trying to guide people on how to build a reliable application Right? Inspector is going to tell you if something is not not working reliably. Mm-hmm. But it also wants to guide you to build better applications. And part of that is using a proper modern init system like Upstart, like Systemd, like Runit. And so uh, initd, one of the problems with initd is you there's no sort of central daemon that you can query for the status of a process or a service. Um and everything's kind of rolled into this just big hairy bash script in Etsy and at d <laughs> and so, when I realized this a couple of months ago, I realized that this was a sort of a a decision point in the design here that was going to be fundamental to the way inspector works. So I was do I want to support this legacy um, ball of mud, or do I want to make a hard stop here and and ask people hey or or guide people or Try to educate people about why this is a problem, and 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 it's not that hard to learn the new the new systems, and and thereby get a more reliable uh, setup for your application components. So that's think, that, that's kind of what I did. I was going to say the um. So just to kind of give the the
0: listeners who listen to this, to kind of a maybe a, an outline of what we think this show might be about this time, uh, in traditional fashion of the change law we want to go deep. We want to figure out all the details of Inspector, but I think a neat part of this transition for you, which you had said this, you, you didn't want to, um, you had to make a choice of uh, supporting that ball of, what was your word? Ball, you used? Mud. ball <laughs> of mud. Ball of mud. So you had to make this choice of, of doing that or something else. And um, episode 92, we had you on talking about Sidekick. You had some success with Sidekick Pro. So for the listener's sake, what we want to do is we want to talk deeply, obviously, about the insides and the innards so to speak of inspector and what you did there. But specifically you, you've seemed to hit this um, the nail on the head, so to speak of success when it comes to delivering open source the right way, but also making a living. Cause you've got your wife, you've got a, you've got a beautiful uh, little boy, a furry cat to take care of. You know, it's not just Mike, everybody Mike's Mike's Mike, but he's got, you know, family, you know, so you got to make money and, you found this really cool way to do this. So can you take us through some of the journey to kind of get to uh, making the choice of supporting that uh, ball of mud or not?
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, at this point in my career, um, I love writing open source, but I'm also, I also had to make the the decision that I'm not a charity, um, that I'm an experienced engineer and, Part of that experience is that I write, um, ideally, I, I have the experience to make well-designed software, um, reliable software. So um, I have to, um, I, I've decided to have a business model where I have both an open source product and a commercial product on top of that, that open source uh, core. And, and that, that commercial product is closed source. And and you know of course there's some people that really don't like this model, but I think uh, by and large everybody understands that people have to make a living, and I can either work for a corporation that is paying me a salary to work on full-time open source, or I can do it on my own. Um, there's a lot of different business models you can, you can have, of course. Um, yeah. Oh, well, another popular one is to have services, so you do consulting mm-hmm. for your product. Um, I think the the Sensu guys do. Do that um, they do some, since who I think is some sort of monitoring system, uh, it's a very complex monitoring system built on top of RabbitMQ, That's if I recall. Similar
0: to React, too, they do the same thing where they have a commercial based version and they have support, and right, it's, it's a model that is kind of it has its pros and cons, too. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and flexibility
0: and the, maybe would be one of them, you know, where it's right. a corporation, multiple people, and again, you seem like you're you're uh, not a rogue you know lone rogue agent but you're you know you like doing things the Mike way
1: well and, and i've i've specifically tried to avoid the type of business where i would need to build this giant thing and have dozens of employees and take on venture funding and all this kind of stuff um i'm i'm more focused on smaller focused tools like sidekick like inspector that uh, I, I can create a commercial product for, I can support it as a single person and make enough money to provide for my family. So, uh, so no, was, yeah, Contributed was, Systems is one person, bootstrapped. no no funding at all. <laughs> best That's way awesome. To be. Yeah.
2: yeah, for sure. So when you first made this decision back with Sidekick, was it at conception that you said, I'm going to have Sidekick and Sidekick Pro, or did you start off saying, I'm going to do... Uh, you know, a threaded version of Rescue and then it got popular and then you thought, oh, I could turn this into a living.
1: When I first started out, it, it was more of just a vague notion of, well, I'm starting my my 10th open source project here and I'm going to work on this for an, another year and uh, there go my nights and weekends. So how can I actually make some money for this so that I've justified it to my wife? Mm-hmm. Um, so that 's why I initially uh, just had sidekick it was It was just the open source product. I actually sold commercial licenses for sidekick, huh. and that did not bring in a ton of money it brought in it brought in like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that over the course of six months but um, it didn 't bring in nearly enough to justify my time you know when you when you when you took all the hours that I was spending on sidekick, I was making minimum wage. In terms of uh, you know, right, selling licenses,
0: right, hours to hours to dollars,
1: yeah, yeah. <clears throat> right. So you know that's that's when I said, okay, I've got this sidekick thing. It's moderately successful at this point. We're six months in. Why don't I do a commercial product on top of it and sell that for ten times as much money? Mm. Um, and and to see if I can get people not not just to pay you know because their lawyers tell them. But because they want to buy actual useful functionality, and so that's when I started. I spent about a month building uh, Sidekick Pro, and uh, and then started selling it. And you know, it 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 ramped up slowly but surely. Uh, when I when I first threw it out there and announced it, I had no idea if anybody would would buy this thing. Um, you know, it's a Ruby gem. People are used to just saying gem install and mm-hmm. not having to put in a credit card. Um, but sales were sales were. Slow at first, but they've ramped up to the point now where I can, I've got a, a good income that provides for my family just based on those sales alone.
0: So I want to touch on, before we move on, Jared, I want to touch on one thing that uh, the listeners might be thinking about. In episode 92, we talked to you um, about this very topic here, but one question that came up that you don't have to go back into, but I just want to at least touch on it quickly, which is, um, you know, what's stopping somebody from, since it's open source, taking side pro, uh, Sidekick Pro features and putting them in the open-source version, um, that's sort of a hurdle you had to get over. How do you prevent that? Just a quick note well, on that for it, this, this
1: show. It's, I don't prevent it, and, and I have no interest really in preventing it. Um, if somebody wants to reproduce a feature, fork Sidekick, and put it in their own version of Sidekick, there's legally nothing stopping them from doing that. Um, Sidekick itself is LGPL. They can fork it, and they can add a feature to it as long as that feature remains open source in their fork. They can do whatever they want with it. The okay. the The thing that people are paying for is long-term support. They're paying for a roadmap. They're paying to know that someone is constantly going to be ensuring that Rails 4.2 is going to work with it, that Rails 5 is going to work with it, that Ruby 2.2 is going to work with it, that... Um, They're also paying for taste, uh, that I, as a project dictator, I have the good taste to know which features are good, which features will, uh, add instability to the product. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So they're, they're paying for the experience and the, the oversight of the project to, to continue. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's nothing legally stopping people from doing that. You know, just the same thing with Inspector. Um, if people want to fork Inspector, it's GPL. They can add their own feature, which copies it. Um, but, again, I think I'm here for the long run. I'm getting, I've got a product which is paying me to support this for the next few years. If they just fork it and add a feature, are they going to maintain it for the next two years? Right. So, That's a good point. You know, are they, I'm constantly going to be adding new features to the open source and the commercial version. Are they going to be constantly pulling in those upstream changes? You know, businesses mm. don't want to deal with that hassle. Um, they just want to buy something that, that they know will work and will be there for the next, you know, in years that they can count on. Well, even the dev
0: too, like, I you know, uh, a fellow developer who would use your open source version, but once their business, you know, they might be fine with using, let's say sidekick open source on their personal projects, but for their, you know, work they do at their day job or whatever they're doing, they want something that has that support. So they might use the pro version at work. So your customers are still like me and Jared, you know, and the listeners of the show, but they just happen to work somewhere else. And they, and you're right though, I think that was a really good point of I don't think you said it like you did in 92 so maybe you perfected your language around <laughs> it cuz that sounded so much better than well not so much better like in a bad way <laughs> but like it sounded really good. It was a good point to make right. that you know you're they're paying for the roadmap, they're paying for your taste and they're paying for this, you know, support along the way, not just like day-to-day support like helping with an issue but like that rails 4, you know 42 is going to work and, and other versions and legacy right. and that kind of stuff. Right.
2: So you weren't sure if people were going to buy this, though. But recently, you were, you released a post where you said uh, some of your numbers, which was quite gracious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, exposing those, I know that's kind of a private thing for a lot of people. But I think in the post you say why, and I think it's super helpful for us to see that Sidekick Pro sales. What you said for the last three months of 2012 were uh, seventy five hundred bucks. In 2013, they totaled eighty five grand, and this year sales should top one hundred seventy five thousand. Right. Those are pretty good numbers, yes. Um,
1: especially since so congratulations especially, on well, that. You. especially since they are a subscription. You know, it's no longer a one-time fee. So, yeah. right, you charge is it seven seven
2: hundred fifty bucks a right. year for the Sidekick right. Pro?
1: Yeah. So ideally, that is a that I mean, that's essentially what is paying for Inspector, right? Is is yeah. that that recurring income that I know is going to be there, so that I can do things like work for four months on a brand new product that. I have no idea if anybody's going to buy.
2: Yeah. How much time do you have to continue to work on Sidekick?
1: Uh, Sidekick generally takes 10 to 20 hours a week right now. So significant. It's significant. I mean, I'm, I'm answering a lot of emails. Um, mm-hmm. People still put in issues all the time, although typically 90% of those issues are some sort of application issue. Um, and then I'm constantly on Stack Overflow. You know, if someone posts a Sidekick-tagged question i'm usually answering it within 24 hours so um so yeah i mean it's it's 90 support at this point um i did just add a feature to psychic pro which i'm going to be rolling out in the next version um so you know i am still doing a little bit of feature work but for the most part it's mostly support at this point so you're pretty pretty happy
2: with your sales um interesting that you decided then to say okay i'm gonna start this new thing Same model. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, at at your current rates, if we're doing our math right, maybe that's 200, 250 customers. You know, perhaps you could just focus on turning that into 1,000 customers. Right. Um, Focus on Sidekick Pro, which is obviously a winner as far as being viable in the market. What made you decide, I'm going to add a second product?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Diversification. <laughs> okay, D- is that ball of mud? It's,
1: it's no. <laughs> we it's, wanted to fix a problem. No. Uh, think about finances, right, and risk. You always talk about diversifying your investments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, you have to diversify um, your time and uh, and your investments. And what I've done over the last two three years is invest a lot in the Ruby community and invest mm-hmm. a lot in Sidekick. However, um, if you if you take a step back and look at the general tech world. Ruby is 2%, 3% of the tech world. If you want a wider customer base, you've got to go with a more generic product. And that's exactly what Inspector is. Inspector is Inspector's useful to anybody using Linux. You know, it doesn't care if you've got a Python app, a PHP oh, yeah. app, um, uh, you know, a Haskell app if you're a neckbeard. Uh, <laughs> it, it it It's... Um, it, it's diversification in the sense that um, if something better than Sidekick comes along tomorrow, then uh oh, what am I going to do? Well, now I've got two different products, which have slightly overlapping audiences, but the Venn diagram is still significantly different. Um, that is, there's not there's a huge new open territory for me to uh, to find customers in now.
0: This is a mm-hmm. prime place too, because it's, I mean, you'd said earlier in the show that this is uh, inspired by to a degree uh, from Monet. You know, so there's some inspiration there. You also talked about the ball of mud that you got sick of dealing with. So obviously, there's something some some competitors in the space that weren't cutting the you know cutting the cheese, so to speak. I don't know if that's the right way to say that or not. <laughs> cutting the mustard. Cutting, the mustard. cutting the cutting mustard. Cutting the mustard. There you go. My bad. Different. My bad, y'all. Um, it's, it's probably my, my Texas uh, my Texas ways or something. Just cutting, seeing the off color, cutting thing.
1: the brisket. But
0: yeah, you know, you yeah, go. cutting the brisket that's a better way to say it for Texas style. So I mean, obviously there's something happening there, and you like you said earlier, they're paying for taste, so you have taste, and why not do
1: it better? Well, and and in fact, a lot of the Linux lower level open source monitoring tools are they're either a decade old, so they've got a lot of accumulated cruft, or they're just i don't know i mean i hate to use the term over and over i, I don't know if, it, if it's pejorative or not but they're very neckbeard oriented they're just not easy to use they're very unfriendly they're very tech heavy um you know i was look someone brought up uh, collected as a possible competitor and i looked at collected and and its syntax is just terrible um it's just hard to use it's it's ugly yeah, I mean, I don't know if Linux people care about this stuff, but I do, and and I want things to be easy to use. So I, I do my utmost to pare things down to the bare minimum to get sort of a Zen. The, get the uh, you know the Kiss principle in action. Keep it as simple as, as humanly possible. And so that's why when you look at inspectors configuration files, they look stupid simple. Um, but they're 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 the bare minimum I needed to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And, uh, you know, I hope people uh, appreciate that.
0: Let's pause the show for a minute. Give a shout out to a sponsor, DigitalOcean, simple cloud hosting built for developers. In 55 seconds, you'll have a cloud server with full root access, and it just doesn't get any easier than that. Pricing plan started only five bucks a month for half a gig of RAM, 20 gigs of SSD drive space, one CPU. And one terabyte of transfer—that's a lot for five bucks a month. DigitalOcean also has data centers all across the world: New York, San Francisco, Amsterdam, Singapore, and their newest region, London. You can easily migrate your data between those regions, making your uh, data always closest to your users. Use the promo code CHANGELOGNOVEMBER November in lowercase. It's important that you use lowercase changelog November. To get a $10 hosting credit when you sign up, head to DigitalOcean.com right now to get started and back to the show.
2: Um, So I see some patterns here um, of you taking a thing and and like you said, inspector is kind of monet plus plus sidekick was kind of rescue plus Mm -hmm. plus in the same post where you gave your numbers, which everybody should probably go out and read that. It's a great post. We'll we'll put it in Uh, the show notes for sure.
0: So check out the show notes.
2: Yeah. In there, you actually give these repeatable steps that you've taken. Obviously, we can kind of see the pattern. Um, But could you walk through the steps you took as far as how to come to a successful open source slash um, commercial product? And then perhaps as a follow-up, give examples of things that you haven't taken on that maybe somebody else could.
1: Um, So step one is to find a tool that is non-trivial and important to your current system or workflow. That goes right back to, if you write a tiny hundred line gem, nobody's going to care. People can, it has to be non-trivial. It has to be something that will take a lot of time, right? It has to be something that mm. is worthy of someone's consideration to use, to outsource, or to actually buy from you. Um, so, so yeah, there. And 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 ideally, like you say, you want to find something that is a bit painful to use. Maybe it's overly complex or has a lot of features that you don't want. Um, think about Microsoft Word and look at all the text editors out there that are just. There's no competition for Word, and Word's not competition for them. Word is just this this giant set of features of which you know you use maybe five percent of those features. So, you know, there's is there a market for a word processor that is just much much simpler? And and I would argue something like a Markdown editor is a perfect example where you take the essence of Word, which is writing a formatted document, but kind of twisting it so that it's much simpler. Uh, and it, but is non-trivial to, to author um, and is something that people would pay for. Um, so it's it's sort of a, a different take on a word processor. So step two is plan out how you can make it better. Simplify it so you're taking Microsoft Word and you're going down and you're saying, I don't need all of these toolbars. I don't need hundreds of ribbon commands or menu commands or whatever. Um, people just want to write formatted, nicely formatted documents uh so you're discarding that that superfluous functionality and you're adding your own useful functionality at this point uh i like to think about um how am i going to divide the functionality how am i going to make a business model out of this thing you've got to you've got to draw a line where you you tell customers here's what's available to you for free but if you want more you've got to pay for it and uh and, and i think like i said 90% of people understand that um, and that this is your full time job, and so therefore that's just a line you have to draw. And then, uh, and then you're going to build the thing, and see what happens. Um, you've got to evangelize it. You've got to market it. You've got to support it. It's not just code. Open source is a process. Software is a process. It's not just a bunch of bits that you pound out in in Vim over over a couple weeks. So um, you've got to build that that thing and then you've got to support it and evangelize it over the course of months and see how that goes. And, uh, and that's, that was sort of the sidekick model. Um, and then once it takes off, you build the commercial version of it and start selling it to your, your open source user base. And, and there will be a, a small percentage of people that will upgrade. And, and so you know it, it dep- who knows how much money that's going to be. That could be beer money or that could be enough to make a living money but um but that's where you need to start tweaking your pricing you need to start tweaking the functionality you know there's there's no right answer here, but you'll you'll need to experiment but those are the uh, those are the five steps
2: okay, so uh, a few example obviously you chose background jobs and then you chose monitoring. are there any other uh pain points that you see out there that? You know, you'd, you'd take on if you didn't have, you know, two successful well, projects you're already when doing. When I was writing
1: this blog post, I, I was actually thinking, oh, maybe I should give them an example of something that is, has room for, <laughs> you know, exactly this business model. What uh, you didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't because um, I came up with one idea, but I wasn't sure. I, I wanted people to, to sort of think on their own about it. The one that uh-huh. I came up with was uh, HTML to PDF conversion. Um, mm. There's a ton of services out there that do that, and literally yep. every single business wants this tool, and literally right. no open source people want it. So what that means is that you've got a very business friendly, very commercial friendly possible product. the The one in the Ruby space that I'm familiar with is called Wicked PDF. It's mm-hmm. a gem that wraps um, the WebKit HTML to PDF uh, binary. Um, And it's old and crufty, and I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how well it's supported, but that's definitely a tool that if somebody was kind of more in the PDF space, maybe they knew WebKit better than I do. It's something that people might consider doing. Um, It's, like I said, every Every business i've worked out in the last five years has wanted to use that tool for some reason or another, and generally they would have no problem paying you know twenty five bucks a month or whatever for a tool which does that and then you multiply mm-hmm. that by a thousand businesses that need it now you've got twenty five thousand dollars a month in reoccurring income
0: yeah there's
1: um there's a
0: formula that goes 30 uh, 30 by 500. And I didn't didn't make that up. That's Amy Hoy's thing and Alex Hillman's thing. Um, But where if you can get 500 customers to give you 30 bucks a month, you will have a business that that makes roughly $150,000 a year. You know, so if you kind of break it down like you have to these achievable uh, yet still hard, you know, it's not like it got any easier, but they become more achievable. Once you break it down to these five steps you've kind of given here, um, and I think your model has legs. Like, obviously, it's got legs because you, you you got 175k in the bank that proves that it that it works.
1: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And and the the wonderful thing about software in general is that you can do it in your spare time. You know, you can do it in nights, you can do it in weekends, as long as your employer is, is somewhat friendly to you, sort of moonlighting. As long as your employment contract doesn't have issues there, of course, legally you'll want to you'll want to verify that. Right. But um, yeah. you want to make sure you're in the clear long-term but you know I wrote sidekick pro and have been working full time for the climb for the last two years right and the last two and a half years I was working on sidekick and sidekick pro and bringing in I was bringing in a hundred thousand dollars through sidekick while also having a full-time job making six figures so you can build all this stuff without much investment Uh, you know next to no investment aside from some time Um, You know, time is a luxury to a lot of people. Um, But if you've got that, you can invest that time into, you know, your own possible future career. Be patient, too. I mean,
0: it it seems like you've been sitting on some patience, honestly. Like, you didn't seem like uh, you were in a rush to jump ship and, like, you know, the moment you had success with Psychic Pro, basically, Mm -hmm. you weren't like, oh, I'm out. You know, it, it, so can you talk maybe a little bit about that? And I think maybe Jared's got some other questions. I don't want to stomp on your questions, Jared, but can you talk a bit about the, the patience aspect (laughs) of,
1: of what you've done? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, having a nice, a nice salary makes it much harder to determine when am I going to jump ship here? You know, my salary is a nice, steady, flat stream of income. And then my Sidekick Pro income was constantly sort of slowly but surely rising up. And there was an inflection point where the two actually met. And I was making as much or more every month from Sidekick Pro than I was my salary. That's when I started saying, okay, how long do I hold on here and continue to draw a salary before I just say I'm going to do this full time? It it, it worked out to about uh, six months about in January, about in January uh, this year, when uh, the two sort of met. And I said, well, you know, if this thing keeps going, I there's no reason I need to be working full time at all for somebody else when I can be doing my own thing. And so, you know, a couple months ago, uh, the business came to me and said, we've got some opportunities here. And uh, one of those opportunities was for me to leave with a very nice severance package. And I elected that and uh, and 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 in doing so, that severance package effectively subsidized the the building of inspector so uh, so yeah it's 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 worked out really well um, and and if you're patient, you can time this stuff so that it works out the best for you.
2: So I think one of those other hard decisions i mean i'm I'm looking at this as like a viable thing to possibly do, and I think another place where it's difficult, obviously this is a business decision, is like where do you actually draw the line in the sand for pro features versus the open source features? You've done this twice now, and you probably felt it out with Sidekick, and I think you're probably, you are may be a little more confident with Inspector. Right. Um, can you kind of speak generally, and then we'll get into Inspector details sure. after that.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a, a common question. I mean almost literally the first question everybody asks me. Uh, there's no easy answer. Um, the, what I've done with inspector is tried to say, okay, what's, what's an, a quote unquote enterprise feature. What is a team feature? What I've tried to do with inspector is, is make the open source functionality be the features that an individual would want if they were a hobbyist and just sort of built their own server side application without uh, a team inspector pro on the other hand, has a bunch of functionality so that you can route alerts to different people you can set owners of of different components so you know Bob owns the database but Mike owns the background processing system and uh-huh. Ted over here owns Nginx or Apache or the app server or whatever and so that way if any of these components misbehave the alerts are routed to the team members that know them best so that's that's one approach that I've taken is again what's an enterprise feature, what's a team type feature and uh and that's that's really all I have in terms of advice it's It's not an easy question to answer mm-hmm. and it's just something that you have to judge for yourself um i'm 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 I've got about five or six different features that I want to add to inspector right now, and it's really tough trying to figure out. All right, which of these should go into pro and be sort of locked away from the majority of users that's that's really that's yeah. a really painful decision to make cuz i want to give all the functionality to everybody but i know that that's just not a viable viable uh, solution
2: yeah i'm curious how that affects your open source contributions when uh not just okay that you know people actually getting involved in in, in your open source projects but then also like the kinds of uh, pull requests that you'll actually accept and then do you decide wow that's a great feature thanks i'm going to put it in my pro well you know, I, can't, pro- product. I can't do that i mean that you can't right. do that right their license okay so that makes i mean that if, if
1: somebody is submitting a pr to me um that that's yeah i i, I see that as their code and when i pull yeah. it in it's licensed to me sort of based on the, the, um, contribution guidelines, but I would not take somebody's right. code and then just make it a pro feature. That's, that's immoral and, or unethical, uh, in my opinion. Agreed. So what if you're, what
2: if you're thinking about in, implementing that and then somebody does it for you, I guess you just tell them, you know, I'm going to build it myself or. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the discussion that needs to be had is, um, yeah. Is, is there a common ground that we can reach here? Maybe there's, some subset of the functionality that we can put into open source that's still useful, but I have, I have a different vision for the way this feature is going to work. Um, or, you know, do I just close it out right and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put this, this is the type of thing that properly belongs in pro. Uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that, but you know, that's the, that's the worst possible uh, outcome. In my opinion,
0: something that comes to mind in that uh, in that regard is what Twitter did with their API. They kind of said to API developers, like, don't hang out in these areas. These are danger areas. Right. Uh, these areas are okay for you to hang out in. We won't stomp on you, but these areas are kind of areas we're heading towards or things we're doing differently. And they kind of like, to a degree, somewhat roadmapped right. what was safe right. and what wasn't safe.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a great uh, analogy. Um, they they've had to walk a, a really a really fine line because they're not a pipe, they're not just purely a pipe for tweets to flow down. You know, they also want to control the the glass, the way that people see tweets so that they control the ads yeah. that people see. And uh uh-huh. and that really has hit their third-party client uh ecosystem pretty hard.
0: And so in your case, third-party clients are you know, PR's contributions, right. open source developers kind of Helping you sustain the open source side, but at the same time keep it progressing, keep it moving forward.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there's always a there's always a tension there, um, where you have something free and then something paid on top of that. Um, nobody begrudges Twitter for having to make a living. I know that right. I myself, I would prefer to pay Twitter. Uh, you know, a dollar a month. You know, a dollar <laughs> a month is I would be happy to pay. And if app man, and if they take their uh, their. <laughs> Their users, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they take their their hundred million users and uh, charge them a dollar a month. You know, you got 100 a hundred million a month coming in that that pays for a lot of office space in San Francisco. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I also understand that a social network is is based on the size of the network, and uh, and right. the vast majority of people don't want to have to pay for something if they can just see ads instead, which is unfortunate.
2: Yeah, that 100 million users, you know, drops down to 350,000 or something like that. And now your network is is not as valuable Exactly.
0: As exactly. Let's pause the show for a minute. Give a shout to a sponsor. hired.com is sponsoring the show this week and the URL you need to go to is hired.com/changelog podcast. Again, hired.com/changelog podcast. And when you go there, uh they're going to give you a They're going to double the signing bonus that they give you if you accept a job on Hired.com from $2,000 to $4,000. Every week on Hired, uh, thousands of tech companies in San Francisco, New York, Seattle, and L.A. uh, bid on hiring awesome developers, providing the salary and equity up front. Some of their most in-demand jobs are web and mobile developers, DevOps, UI, UX, and even some product managers the average developer gets about five to fifteen offers with equity, with salary, all that up front. Uh, and even if you're not looking for a job, but you might know someone who is, you can revert, you can refer them to hired and get an awesome bonus as well if they accept the job. And the amount of that one is $1,337 total lead. So go to hired.com slash change law podcast and get hired.
2: So thinking about contributions, I was just looking at Sidekick here as you're talking, and uh, 713 forks, 242 contributors over its lifespan. I would say that the model, maybe some of that was before you had the pro version, but it seems like there was no barrier for people wanting to hop in and, and help out there. So that's good. Were you con- concerned about that, especially with Inspector? I mean, it's only been out for a day, but you know, one fork so far.
1: Um my my main concern with Inspector is just the fact that it's using Go, so that it's a relatively new language. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, Monet is written in C and uses, mm-hmm. I think, they're on Bitbucket. So they're they're just kind of in a different ecosystem. So I'm not sure if people find Bitbucket easy to contribute to or not, or not. I know that I don't. I've never really used Bitbucket before, but hopefully it's it's on GitHub. It's written in Go. It's easier for people to contribute than something like Monet. But, um, but also keep in mind that Inspector is different from Sidekick in that it's not something that tightly integrates with your application. You know, people, mm. uh, Sidekick is a framework, right? People are interacting with Sidekick APIs. Uh, their code yep. is running within the Sidekick process. So you're just, you've got a lot more moving parts interacting with your app code. And so I think it's natural for people to interact with Sidekick a lot more. So I don't necessarily see uh, as much uh, contribution and as much um, activity around uh, mm-hmm. people contributing to Inspector. Inspector is kind of a black box where you install it, you set it up to monitor your components, and then that's it. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, that could be completely wrong, but that's kind of my feel for it so far.
2: Cool. So let's talk about Inspector then. So. Uh, you said that you had uh, Monet was a tool that you used. Um, not super happy with it, but useful. Um, you decided to dig in, see how you could make Monet better. And you said two things. First of all, removing features that you don't need. And then secondly, adding in some stuff that is more modern or that you think that you do right. need. So you may re- re- reiterate a little bit, but could you enumerate a few on either side? Sure. Of, um, of what you've done so So
1: the first one was removing functionality.
2: Um, right, which initD, you, you mentioned, is a big piece
1: of that. Yeah. There, uh, what I did with Inspector is sort of make the decision that Inspector will not start and stop processes directly. So Monit and God and Bluepill, they all have a way to start a process, stop a process, to set the user that it runs at as, to set the group that it runs as, all this all this boilerplate to start and stop processes. And what I realized is that's the job of your init system. All of these, your, the machine that you're using exists to run your application. Your yeah. application components are the most important thing running on that machine. And the the most reliable way you can ensure that your components are running is to integrate them with your operating system's init system. And that in Ubuntu is upstart. Mm-hmm. Um, in coreOS or uh, centos seven that is system d and future up future Ubuntu are going to be using SystemD also so uh, inspector defers the start and stop of processes to the init system to upstart system d run it and uh, launch d in os 10 mm-hmm. so uh, what i try what i 'm trying to guide people to do is is to integrate their application components into their init system so that they have something reliable that is always there to start and stop these things. Uh, you know, inspector itself uh, people shouldn't necessarily rely on to ensure that this thing that your the components are started. You know, inspector can crash. But the one thing that can't crash on your operating system is your init system. If it crashes the machine crashes. So, uh, so yeah, if you want your components to be up, you want to integrate them with that init system. So when I made this decision, I realized that cutting out the starting and stopping of processes is a big bulk of the configuration.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, every monit recipe, every god recipe has um, four or five lines devoted to how do I start this thing, how do I stop it, what user does it run as, all this kind of stuff. So that, that dramatically simplified um, Inspector because I don't have to deal with that. Uh, a couple other features that Monit had, for instance, are things like monitoring uh, files and directories to make sure that they have the correct permissions, to make sure that they have the correct uh, SHA so that the file contents haven't changed. That, to me, mm. is, is not something I've ever seen anybody ever use. Um, having been an application engineer using Monit to monitor the various demons, it doesn't make any sense to me to monitor file shaws and directory permissions and that sort of thing. Seems like more of a security concern
2: than a monitoring concern.
1: Correct. If you want, uh, if you want something like that, you're going to be using either a read-only file system or you're going to mm-hmm. be using some sort of uh, IDS intrusion detection right. system. So yeah, that, that seemed like a, a kind of a poor man's security thing and and really no reason for it. So that's that's another example of a, a feature that I just completely lopped off and had no interest in rebuilding.
2: So what about the installation story? I mean, as I said in email, I'm a Monit user, have been for a long time. I'm a Debian, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can just app get install Monit. Um, Inspector, written in Go, we can talk about that as well. Go kind of has this great uh, story around dropping a binary somewhere. Um, how easy is it to get Inspector on your machine? Maybe speak to the to the open source and the pro versions.
1: I, I, I'm i sad to say that Inspector is two times as heavyweight as Monit. You have to run two commands, not one command. Oh man, so it's um, twice as many. Yeah, it, uh, in, Inspector, I would imagine in the future, will be integrated directly into the various operating systems package repositories. But right now, it being brand new, I have to distribute yeah. it myself. So, can you do that with your pro version, too, though, down the road, or not? Uh, yes, I, I do. The pro version is ready for people to buy. It's, it's available. Um, it is, I, I run my own package repo gotcha. that um, I control um, through basic auth, just who can access it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so when you buy Inspector Pro, you get instructions on how to set up the repo access. And then from there, it's just AppGet get Inspector Pro. Cool. So yeah, Inspector itself is distributed through this great service called Package Cloud, uh, mm. and they they provide a um, sort of package distribution in the cloud, <laughs> as the name might indicate. <laughs> and uh, so the, the you know you have to run one command to set up their repo on your machine, and then from there it's just apt-get install Inspector. Not too bad. Not not too bad. It's as simple as I could possibly make it. Mhm. But yeah, I mean I worked for probably a month to get Debian and RPM distribution working. It is ridiculous how hard that stuff is to get working. Was this your first big Go project? Yep. Yeah, in fact, uh the reason why it took me uh, you know, 4 months of full-time work was because that I was learning Go and so I would write a bit of functionality and then a couple days later, I'd read through that functionality and say, this code is terrible. I've got to rewrite it again. Write now. it again, yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I have rewrote Inspector probably two or three times in in uh, all of it. I mean, I rewrote all of it probably, you know, two or three times uh, just because I, I ramped up on Go pretty quickly. But, you know, it, it still takes a couple months to get a feeling for what does idiomatic code look like, um, what is does proper error handling you know where do you use interfaces and pointers and value objects and all that kind of stuff so um, was that fun for was that fun for you or was that frustrating it was funstrating <laughs> okay can i make up a word yeah it, i think you just did it was uh it was fun and frustrating it's it's always frustrating because you want to just be able to do something mm-hmm. so there's this cognitive dissonance as you try to write ruby code and go <laughs> Right, um, but again, it's one of those one of those paths where I realize you've got to walk down this path to to get to the destination, which is mm-hmm. being a journeyman programmer, not a beginning programmer in this thing. And so I, I yeah, enjoy sure. that. I, I enjoy that that process. So uh, yeah, it did take me a couple months, and for the first month, I was definitely really frustrated. You know, things like how do I take a string and split it up by commas and get an array of mm-hmm. those strings and how do I convert a byte array into a string? And how do I convert this type into this other type? And, you know, that's stuff that you rarely ever need to do in Ruby, but it's 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 critical in Go. And so that was stuff that I had to learn all new.
2: Yeah, I just wrote my 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 first production, Go. It's a small API for a customer and a uh, longtime Ruby and JavaScript developer. So, you know, you, you get things ingrained in your fingers. You know, maybe you have to have the docs open if you forget an API. But you're not like searching how do I do this in JavaScript or in Ruby, right. and I've just found my Google search like astronomically increase, <laughs> you know, with Go over the last month and a half. Um, there's a great site called GoByExample.com, mm-hmm. which if it's like I know how to program, just tell me how to do this in Go. He has a great just like here's how you do JSON parsing, here's how you do right. you know X Y or Z, and those kind of sites are, are super valuable. Why'd you
1: pick Go over you know your your bread and butter? That's a good question. So, um, so Blue Pill and God are both written in Ruby. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, I I have always used Monit and shied away from them because, to me, m- a monitoring package needs to be as robust and as simple as humanly possible for reliability purposes, and I don't want my application written in the same stack that is monitoring it. It's that's a you know, you've got possibility of them both dying, for some for yeah. some reason. You know, if your Ruby's VM somehow breaks, well, now your monitoring solution breaks too. Um, I always loved the Monit simplicity. You know, the fact that it only yeah. used a couple megabytes of memory, uh, the fact that it was just a single binary to start, and uh, and so I wanted that type of simplicity in in Inspector. What I didn't want to do is write it in C or C++. So when mm. something like Go or Rust came along, I said, "Well, these are perfect next-generation system languages that I can use to build this type of infrastructure without having to deal with, um, you know, memory management and pointers and all that kind of stuff directly." So uh, that's why I. That's why uh, that's one of the reasons I did it in Go. The other reason I did it in Go is it's simply because the language has a really strong standard library where I didn't need to pull in any third-party packages at all to implement it. So uh, Inspector has no runtime dependencies aside from the Linux Linux kernel. You know, it's just a single, it doesn't even use libc. So you think that choice has paid off so far? Well, we'll see. Um, I have, you know, at the very least, I've invested in learning Go and become a uh, not a beginner go programmer anymore but you know i'd say a journeyman go programmer um so in terms of investing in myself you know it's paid off <laughs> but uh you know there's uh it, it remains to be seen how how well the commercial product sells and and how well the open source project is is taken up you know it's still early days haven't been launched 24 hours ago
0: it's it's often that um whenever you try something new like this, whenever you go from Ruby to Go, that you often compare, can you give us a comparison of uh, what you love about both or what you love more about Ruby or what you love more about Go now that you're um, experiencing the, the awesomeness that it is? Sure.
1: Um, Ruby is fantastic for building a big thing. If you can leverage, like, Rails, you know, you just you really can't beat building a website in Rails. It's still... It's still the best thing out there as far as I'm concerned. I would not want to build a, a large website in Go. I, I think that would be inappropriate. Uh, I think the the Ruby flexibility and prototyping speed is still um, much faster than Go's speed. Where Go shines is where you've got something very simple, very focused that you want to build, and you can you know sort of hold the code in your head and just build it out. Really quick, um, you know. Go's speed is, goes runtime speed is really, um, really nice <laughs> for sure. Uh, running my test suite, you know, takes tenth of a second. You know, of course, Ruby can do some of that if you if you structure the code correctly. But, but yeah, I think I think Ruby has points where it shines in terms of these frameworks like Rails, like Sidekick, where you can build these large scale apps pretty quickly. And uh, and Go is more of a of sort of a sharp focus tool for building, um, you know, smaller, lower level things. Is, is typically how right. I think of it.
0: In your uh, in your list mentioning uh, the introduction to Inspector, you've got several things that you, you kind of have on the plate that you're that you're supporting in terms of like writing alerts to Slack, HipChat, Campfire, Flowdock, some of the common hit list of of popular kind of collaboration tools. You also mentioned that it's brand new. It's not 1.0 yet. Can you talk about um, since it's since this is new? And for those listening, you're probably listening as much as maybe five days after the recording of this. So when we say it was released one day ago, it was actually like six days ago, <laughs> technically, depending upon when you listen to this. But um, can you talk a bit about you know this early version, not 1.0 version, um, in terms of feature set, what you've put in it, and like maybe where you see things. Going and and possibly even how, mm-hmm. um, how how actually using Go supports some of the the
1: the lifespan you see for this. So the uh, the base Inspector, the open source version of Inspector, uh, will monitor any any service that's integrated with your init system. Uh, it will monitor daemon specific metrics. So it it knows it understands MySQL, it understands Nginx, Redis, Memcached. Those are the four I launched with. I see there are tons of opportunity to, for people to contribute their own daemon-specific metrics. Uh, things like um, Cassandra, Kafka. You know, There's a, there's a whole world right. of like Java infrastructure, for instance, that isn't covered at all. Uh, but I'd love to have integration with just more infrastructure that people use to build their apps. Those happen to be the four things that I use, um, that the Ruby community uses often but um you know maybe python folks maybe uh for instance like celery or or rabbitmq uh would be uh, mm-hmm. more examples so daemon specific metrics are in the open source version uh what else is there so you're going to you're going to monitor your your cpu and your memory of your process your daemon specific metrics you can monitor the host uh, metrics things like swap disk space usage cpu usage and then oh you can also you can also get an overview of all the status of all the services that it's inspecting at a given moment. And you can also see a graph of a metric in the console. So if you're if you're at the terminal and something, uh, an alert fires, you can actually see the history of the metric right in your console without having to open up and find a graph or something like that, which is pretty nice. Uh, now, in terms of... Uh, uh, the commercial version Pro Pro has the ability to monitor it D, the old legacy stuff, that ball of mud that I referred to. Um, oh, that's,
2: so you you didn't want to do it, but you'll do it for money.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I like that. <laughs> that's a good one, Jared. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's an example where if people have legacy services, if they're an enterprise and and they just don't want to touch the thing, but they do want to use uh, Inspector to mm-hmm. monitor you You pay the money and and the problem is solved um, yeah i mean part of part of this hard line that I'm having to take with features is trying to guide people to to author better applications and sometimes that means i you know i'm not going to support the old way of doing something because I really genuinely feel it's not the right way to do things now if people want to pay me money to so that they continue continue to do it the old way then that's that's their choice but you know i'm I'm taking a stand here and saying that Init D is not the right thing to do anymore um so uh yeah so Init D is supported in, in pro um, and then yeah as you said chat rooms for teams who want alerts to be piped into their shared chat room where maybe they've got people in the chat room 24 7 that's a perfect example where you can sort of cut down noise in your inbox by by directing uh, the alerts into the, t- the chat rooms And then uh, the final feature in Pro right now is the uh, uh, ownership. So you can give ownership to various components. You can say, I I want alerts for this thing to go to this particular team or this particular person. Because Inspector itself, the open source version, you can only send alerts to a single email address. That's it. Now, what's coming down the pipe? Uh, Yeah, I've got a bunch of ideas. One thing I want to put in the open source version is monitoring cron jobs to ensure that cron jobs are running. Uh, If you have a cron job that runs hourly and you deploy your code and that code change breaks that cron job, how do you know? Oftentimes the job will just start silently failing and you won't know until a customer calls, customer emails, or maybe you don't receive a report the next day or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: having having something that 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 notifies what I want to do is have a way for the cron job to notify Inspector that hey I just ran, and then Inspector mm. will say if I haven't received a notification within the last hour or within the last day, to fire off an alert to say hey this cron job didn't fire.
2: Mm. Let me just say as as a longtime Monit user and a relatively happy Monit user. Mm-hmm. If you do that feature, I will immediately switch.
0: I was going to say, you seem like you were <laughs> lamenting with the pain. Uh, like I could almost audibly hear oh, the man. pain you felt from not having that feature.
2: Yeah, I've looked for solutions. There's some online services where you can, uh, you know, do your cron job and then, you know, do a- ampersand, ampersand, and then hit some API that just says, I did it, right? That it actually succeeded. And then they'll send you emails and stuff if it fails. Um, tried those. There's other, you know. Things where you can just pipe it to an email address if it fails. Anyways, they all suck. Right. <laughs> this
1: well, would well be mine's awesome. gonna suck. Mine's, like, right, mine's gonna do. suck just as much. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So, I, in a better way, though, maybe. Yeah. So, so that was one idea I had for another feature. Um, another, you know, the the other obvious feature would be sort of a web interface to see an overview of the different metrics mm-hmm. you're tracking and to see pretty graphs. Um, yeah. That that would probably be a pro A pro um, feature, I'm not sure Uh, But Yeah, anything that's sort of team or collaborative Is definitely going to be Lean toward pro Things like cron jobs, though You know, I can see individuals Wanting those as part of their applications And so Putting a a cron job checker uh, Seems like a natural fit Yeah I'm for it Cool I'll, I'll count that as a plus one on the issue. Then <laughs> there you
0: go. Well, cool, Mike. Um, we uh, we tend to ask a few questions at the end of the show, but we're going to ask one simple question because that's that's the way we're going to roll around here. But um, Inspector's new. It's you know, let's say it's you know barely a day old in terms of release. Um, can you kind of give the listeners a way that? You're looking for engagement, you know. Is there a feature set like you'd mentioned earlier? You know, supporting different systems, Debian, and and were some of the ones that you'd mentioned that you use. So mm-hmm. you're supporting those. Are are there a hit list that, that you have a roadmap? You, how can people jump in and and help you launch the open source side and right. and uh, maybe even how to buy the pro side? Well,
1: I what I would love, what I need right now is just users. You know, it's a brand you know it is a brand new project so I would love people to download it try it out um, I'm definitely not strong in terms of the operating system packaging so Deb support RPM support I, I spent probably a month trying to polish it and get it working but I'm sure that there's uh, plenty of room for improvement there so maybe some code review
0: on certain areas yeah
1: exactly I mean if there's a if you know you got more of a Debian guy or more of a um, a fedora guy, uh, wants to or or girl for for that matter uh, mm-hmm. a gender is is not an issue um, if if anyone wants to come in and, uh, and and help me out there I'm happy to have that uh, I've cobbled together what I have right now but uh, I'm sure there's room for improvement and the other thing is is just use it and and give me give me ideas for features um, send PRs and uh, and remember the there's that demon specific feature where you know I want I want inspector to know about as many of these popular different application components as possible and so getting uh prs to add more and more of them would be awesome so yeah that's that's definitely ripe for uh for some for uh prs
0: well awesome well is there anything else that you want to cover mike in in closing before we uh take the show out
1: not really uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to come on and uh, and uh, ramble on a bit cool
0: well uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes so if uh, uh, we'll, we'll mention them here on the air but uh, mparum on twitter if you want to follow Mike but we'll have some links in the show notes to back to the code back to um, your, your, uh, your company site we'll even link that blog post that Jared mentioned about this uh, this fantastic way to have this path of success like Mike has found for sure so Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Um, we had some awesome sponsors for this show. So as you might know, not only are we member-supported, but we're also sponsor-supported because we work with some really, really cool companies. One of those cool companies is CodeShip. Love CodeShip. Those guys are awesome. Hired.com uh, and also DigitalOcean. We're hosted on DigitalOcean. We love DigitalOcean, and we think you should too. If you're not using them, then I just make a sad face, and that's just that's just how it goes. But uh, that's it for this, uh, this week's of ChangeLog, and we'll be back. As soon as you want to hear us, let's say goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye.